We're in a really a, an interesting place in the Word of God. Um, would you turn with me, please, into 1 Timothy? We're in the fourth chapter. This is the last half of this book, of course. There's chapters 1, 2, and 3, which we had the privilege of studying. And then last week we had a, uh, an insight to, to Paul's kind of setting the tone for where he is going in the rest of this book. He set the tone not only for the rest of this book, but he set the tone for the people in the church at Ephesus where Timothy is leading this church, which Paul taught at one time. If you remember last week, I will not belabor the point, but, but he said, I'm writing verses 14, 15, and 16, I write, I'm writing these things to you and hoping that I'm going to come to you before long, he said to Timothy. But in case I'm delayed, I'm going to write these things so you may know how to conduct yourself within the household of God, which is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the support of truth, the truth. And now he tells us what is the truth in verse 16. And we spent the one just last Sunday on this common confession that is given amongst mankind. Common confession, we learned in the Greek, meant uh, of the same mind. We are in agreement with, or we ought to be in agreement with, what he has just presented to us in verse 16. And this common confession is, is this, six things. He, Jesus, who is revealed in the flesh was also vindicated in the Spirit. He was beheld by angels, but he was also proclaimed amongst the nations, amongst mankind. He was believed on in the world, but he was also taken up in glory. It's a, a, just a fabulous place in the Word of God. Well, now Paul gets to the very issues of, of, of dealing with problems that happen within every church, within every body of believers. But he's allowing us to have some sort of an insight so that we might be able to recognize what's, what's going on within the body of believers so that we will not be caught off guard. And so he writes in, in this section, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, this warning about those who might fall away. And he wants to, he wants to encourage you and me that we do not, we do not fall for those trappings. Let's read, please, verses 1 through 5, and then let's, let's allow God, by the grace of an almighty God, to teach us what he would teach us this morning. It says in verse 1, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. He goes on to say in verses 4 and 5, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified. That word means set apart. It is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. It's a really a sweet place in, in Scripture. But the crux of it is, it's all in verse 1, where, where we, we hear a very harsh warning. The Spirit explicitly says, some are going to fall away. I, I never could quite understand that. 
Um, when I first came to trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'll try to make this real short. This is a little bit of a, a rabbit trail, but um, when, when I first came to the Lord, the first church I ever attended was Dr. Jack MacArthur, John MacArthur's father in Eugene, Oregon. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I, I couldn't, he couldn't have enough church for me. Sunday morning, Kay and I were there first thing. Uh, if we had church in the evening, we were there first thing. Mid, midweek service, we were there and, and, and got to know some of the most wonderful people, uh, believers like you. Believers who, who were built into my wife's and my life. One in particular was a very, very strong, gruff man that I, I grow to love. If I remember correctly, his name was Fritz. It's been years since I've seen him or, or thought about him, really. But he impacted my life while I was in Eugene in such a way. Be, and he shared with me one time his testimony of how for the last, oh, about three years ago, he went, he fell back into his old way of lifestyle. He was a lumberjack, very rough man, very very strong and very tough. And uh, he said that he would go out and tell the worst jokes. He would be out there in the forest and he would tell just terrible, terrible, terrible things and curse and, and all of that. And he said, John, he says, the one thing I can tell you for certain is God, that ne God never let me go through all of that, even though I was blasphemous and just a terrible human being. He says, I always thought a tree was going to fall on me, that God was so angry with me that he was going to have a, a, a big log just fall on my head and just get me out of there because I was embarrassing him. And he came back to trust in the Lord, and, and he said, John, don't ever take that trail. It's not worth it. Stay close to your Lord. Well, I was a brand new Christian, and I was hearing everything from so many people, and I was taking in like a sponge everything that I could hear. Well, what Paul is explaining today is those who the Spirit says in latter times are going to fall away, and I, I'm going to fight with every ounce of energy that I have that you and I are not those people, that we will stay true to our faith. It is so worth it. It is so worth it. Father, we just read these five verses that you had Paul write down for our, for our information so that we might understand and know a little bit about what you want from us. And so, Father, since you had Paul write it, since it was inspired by you, we humbly ask, Lord, that you would teach us. We humbly ask, Father, that you might open up our eyes in our hearts, in our minds, so that we might behold wonderful things from the words that we have just read in your law, the Bible. Father, we believe here at this church that um, being taught by a man, a woman, is not the issue. We believe at this church, Father, that if we will humble ourselves enough, if we will call upon you enough, that you you will teach us. And Father, when we sense that it is you that is moving our lives and our hearts, we believe that we'd be more inclined to follow. So we, we want to build no false idols before you, no teachers that might uh, be exalted, but that we as teachers would exalt you 
and you alone so that we might hear from your heart to ours. And so I pray that you would move me aside. Actually, Father, uh, just make me not even be an issue in this half hour. Let us hear from your heart the best we can, Father. And we thank you for the privilege of being a part of this church, this, this wonderful experience that you've given every single one of us, this, this church, the Rock Community Church, Father, that we might, we might live and, and learn through it to follow you more closely. Bless us, please, dear Father. More importantly, May as this day goes on, may we bless you. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. What we've just read is, is this, basically. From the beginning of time, this earth has been a battleground between God and Satan. It started with Adam and Eve way back in the garden in, in Genesis chapter 2. And then in Genesis chapter 3, when, when, when the serpent came to Eve and tried to entice her and said, Indeed, has God said that you can eat from any tree in the garden? And she said, Well, yeah, we can. We can from every one of them but the one in the middle. And he said, Oh, God doesn't want you to eat from the one in the middle because he knows the day that you eat of it, you're going to be like him. He's keeping something special from you. And there the battle begins. God calls you and me as people to respond to his word in responding to his word to believe and trust in him by faith and to follow him through our will and through our obedience. On the other hand, Satan is always going to try to lure people away from God's word to follow his, Satan's lies, and to abandon God's ways. We don't want to be that type of person. But the Bible says, the Spirit explicitly says, some will fall away. There are always some who profess to follow God's truth and yet turn away from it. A few weeks ago, I don't remember exactly the time, uh, Rob Selleck taught us so beautifully about the parable of the seed being sown upon the road. He taught us, I believe, out of Mark. I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 13. It's the same parable. Uh, and, and I just want to kind of go over it with you. The first part, Jesus tells the parable. The, the, the disciples the, that were following him said, what, what did you mean by that? We don't really get it. And he says, wow, you guys. He said, let me explain it to you. And so in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. Let me explain it to you. And in so doing, in verse 19, we see the battleground beginning between God and Satan. In verse 19 it says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, then the evil one will come, Satan will come, and snatch away what has been sown in that person's heart. Then he explains, This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. There was this battle between God and Satan. Satan comes in when the seed or the word has been sown and, and snatches it away. Verses 20 through 22 talk about those who profess to be believers but don't hold on to their faith. Verse 20, he says, The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places... 
This is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, this person has no firm root in themselves. It's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises, and I want you to note something here. It's really, it's insightful. When pers where persecution arises, note where the persecution comes from. It comes because of the Word. You see, the Word of God was written and given to you and me so as to convict us of our sin. And so for this one on whom this seed was sown, it was, it was heard, it was received with joy, and yet because there's no firm root within this person, because of the word, immediately this person falls away, it says at the end of verse 21. In verse 22, it talks about the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. This is the person who hears the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word out. It becomes unfruitful. And now in verse 23, we see what a true believer looks like. It says, the true believer, this is the one on whom the seed was sown on good soil. And this person hears the word and note, understands it. You know, it's, 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 it's critical that you and I go through the Bible. It's critical that we hear these things, yes. But it's also critical that we understand what God is trying to say to us. And so the person, it says, who understands it, hears it, will bear fruit. In other words, will serve the Lord. Some will bring forth a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And by the way, the amount that you bring forth is not the issue. It's the idea that we bear fruit, that we serve the Lord. This is an important place because I, I want you to recognize something, though, because I think it can be <clears throat> intimidating thinking, whoa, will I fall away? Whoa, will, will the worries of the world uh, uh, kind of make me walk away? Will the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word within me? I want you to know this. The, the person who falls away is not someone struggling to believe. All of us, I think, struggle to believe. At least I do. It's a struggle. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life journey that we are on. It's, it's not something that you have and you receive the Lord and bingo, you're, you're this super Christian. No, it's, it's that we accept the Lord, our, our, our sins are forgiven, but the growth is still needed within our lives. We still have to grow in the understanding and, and, the, and the knowledge of the Word of God. And so the, the one who is struggling to believe isn't the issue here. The ones who fall away are those who willfully, willfully abandon the biblical faith that they had once professed. And this is, as a staff and as shepherd leaders here at this church, this is what we are committed to make sure that you and I never do, and that's fall away. But, back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some are going to fall away from the faith. Th that is very fearful to me. 
They will pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, Scripture teaches that the first coming of Jesus Christ, some 2,000 years ago, when he came to earth as a baby, which is called the Messianic era or the church age, that is the time in which we live today. We are living in the last times. And if, if the Lord tarries, if the Lord doesn't come back for another thousand years, we will still, they, they will still, those people will still be living in the latter times. That's what it means with Scripture. It doesn't mean that, that the Lord's coming is, is immediate. It doesn't mean that He's coming today, but it doesn't mean that He's not coming today. Nobody knows. And so it's a very good process in your life and in my life that we live today as if He were going to come back this afternoon. It's a great way to live. That's why I have the, the watch that beeps. It beeps to remind me. How am I doing? Is he back? Is he coming? Oops, oh, I wish. Live as though he were coming today. Hold on to this precious, precious gift that has been given to you and me, our faith. Now, let me, let me teach you something that is, is, is very critical in our minds about this statement. The Spirit explicitly says... That in the latter days, some are going to fall away from the faith. The word fall away there describes those who are called, for lack of a better name, an apostate. That is one who falls away from the church or rejects Jesus Christ. The faith that it talks about refers to the content of the divine revelation that constitutes what you and I believe. Or should I say what Scripture teaches? It goes back to chapter 3 and verse 16. That he, Jesus, was revealed in the flesh. That he was vindicated or, or called righteous in the spirit. That he was beheld by the angels but also proclaimed amongst the nations. That he was believed on in the world and he also was taken up in glory. That's the faith that you and I hold on to. The writer Jude the book of Jude is just a small book, just before the book of Revelation. If you want to look at it, you may, of course. But it's Jude, and it's only one chapter. So when you see Jude written out, it's Jude 3. doesn't mean Jude the third chapter. It means Jude the third verse. Jude verse 3 says this. Jude writes, listen to these words. Beloved, he says, I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation. Wait, you ought to stop there when you see that. It ought to hopefully make you reflect back to what, what Paul wrote in, in verse 16 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. Common confession. Here, common salvation. The word common is H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-O, -O -O, which we learned last week. It means to say the same thing. That's the common confession. But here we have a common salvation, which means same. We believe in the same Savior, the same salvation. There is no other, as we're going to learn in another moment or two. So Jude continues in verse 3 saying, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. 
notice the words, which was once for all handed down to the saints. God's truth, our faith, was given to us once and for all. That is, it was given one time. It only had to be given once, and it doesn't change. It doesn't alter. We have a common salvation, a salvation that is the same. Jesus Christ is our salvation. And it was given once, and it was given for everybody, once and for all. No exceptions. I got the greatest thrill this week. My dearest friend in life, is a man that I, he's my same age, we roomed together for four years in college. Even though he's my peer, even though he is, uh, he's still my hero. It's weird. He's always been. He was uh, the only guy in the University of Southern California that was ever the captain of a team three out of the four years he was there. He was the captain of our basketball team Three out of the four years we were there at school. Nobody else. And he would have been the captain our sophomore year, but the coach didn't want a sophomore to be a captain. Wanted a senior. That's the kind of leader he was. Quite a few years ago, he came to my house and he said, what's this you believe? What has happened to your life? I said, I became a Christian, Bill. I said, it's changed my heart. It's changed my whole life. It's changed my attitude. He says, I want it too. So in the uh, kind of my front room in our home, we, I don't remember if we knelt down. I think I did. And we asked Jesus Christ to come into Bill's life and to ch- change his heart. Well, there hasn't been a, bu- a bunch of change in his life until just recently. All of a sudden, he's gotten excited about his faith. One of our common friends, because of him who was an atheist or an agnostic at best, accepted Christ because he was watching Bill and me. And he saw a difference within the two of us, and he accepted Christ, and his wife accepted Christ, and now they go to this vital church, and he is is just growing leaps and bounds. And Bill's watching him grow, and now he's encouraging Bill. Is this too deep? I, I, I know this is my friend. I just want to get to the point. The other day Bill calls me, And he says to me these words. He's been studying and he wanted a Bible and I sent him immediately. I got on, I had Kay get on on online and went to, what do they call it where you can buy books? Uh, Huh? Amazon, exactly. Way to go. I forgot the name of it. She went to Amazon and bought, we bought him a Bible. Oh no, Amy. Amy did. Amy found a better deal for about, oh, maybe half price. And we sent him this wonderful uh, New American Standard Bible by John MacArthur's study Bible. And he calls me. Here's my point. He calls me and he says, I learned something. I said, what? And he has this commentary alongside. He says, I learned we are either alive or we're dead. Folks, I can't tell you, that is like glory. That is such a revelation for a heart to understand. I said, Bill, how did you find that? Where did you find it? Tell me. And he started telling me about it. He says, there are not like a lot of religions. There are not like a lot of denominations. Thinking, this is so cool. And he says, you're either alive or dead? And I said, Bill, I have a friend that, that, that I've, I've gotten to meet in, uh, once, and he's one of my heroes. He's, his name is Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and he puts it this way. He says, you're either a saint, what we know, don't we, or you 
Oh, you ain't. And he said, yeah, yeah. You're either a believer or you're not. You're either alive or you're dead. I got so excited about this for him. I, 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 I understood that all of a sudden he, he's grasping God's truth. This, this faith that was given to us once and for all. And now I'm watching him start to grow in what he believes in. And now we're talking about us getting together instead of talking about who knows what. He says, next time let's talk about our Bible. Let's, let's get together and talk about it. Teach me from what you've been learning. That's what life's all about, folks. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 again. It says, in the latter times there are going to be some who will fall away from the faith. On the other hand, in a lot of times there are going to be those of us who really get grounded in what we believe and become even more secure in who we are. But the some who fall away are those who, who reject Jesus Christ. Normally from within the framework of the church, Paul is telling. While, while this should sadden us, and it should outrage us, and it does me, it shouldn't shock or surprise you or me. We know that this is going to happen. Some are going to fall away because the Spirit explicitly says this will occur. There will always be those who reject the true faith. There will always be those who, who just stop trusting for whatever reason. We can't be a people who allow that to happen. You and I need to be so grounded in the Word of God that those who... who who say haphazardly come to church, those who, who are not grounded into small groups, those who are not bearing fruit, in other words, serving the Lord in whatever capacity, we ought to encourage them. We ought to see it a, a, a privilege within our lives to see our friends and our, our loved ones and our, our acquaintances come to a deeper walk with Christ. There should be a joy in your heart, just like there was for me when, when I hung up and from my friend Bill, and after talking to him for quite some time, I, I, I yelled at Kay, Bill's got it. He's got it. God is revealing himself to him more and more. And it made my heart leap within me. But for those who reject our Lord, listen to what God says. It's a, it's a very telltaling verse in, 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 in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 20, you'll find it at verse 38a. You really don't need to turn there, because, but I would look at it later if I were you. It says, God says, I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me. You see, it seems obvious that God removes those who might cause more harm to his body, to the church. The, writers of, the writer of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, exhorts us, says, Take care, brethren, take care, lest there should be in any one of you a, an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. What would cause you or me to fall away? I've made it, I made this vow within myself, if everything else, if everything else was to fall apart, I would not fall apart on my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is the one solid rock that I have within my life. You need to think about that. 
See, even Paul, who I would believe, if Paul taught here, oh my gosh. He taught for three years in this church, the church at Ephesus. And he knew after he was going to leave there, he knew that from within that church, those people whom he personally labored over, taught, with, as we learned, with, with tears. He wept for them, taught them day and night. He knew that some would, would try to, to, to deceive people. They would try to make some abandon the truth that he faithfully taught them for three years. And so in his farewell address to the church at Ephesus, he said these words in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. I've read them to you before. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves are going to come in among you, and they're not going to spare the flock. And he says in verse 30, from among your own self, there will be men, people, who will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. John said in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. He said, because if they had been of us, they would have remained but they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not of us. All of this trouble that Paul is writing about here, sad as it is within the body of Christ, had been predicted by our Lord through His Word. So it shouldn't surprise or shock us. It should just sadden our hearts. Sadden our hearts that perhaps we're not doing all that we can do to keep people safe and secure. Well, in verse 1, we are told what the cause is for their falling away. It's that they paid attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. We said apostasy, or the falling away, is generated by a demonic being. Ephesians tells us that. Paul tells us as much. In Ephesians, we studied a few, I guess, years ago now. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says that the battle for the truth... And the kingdom of heaven is a struggle not against flesh and blood. It's, it's not against us, but it's against rulers. It's against powers. It's against world forces of darkness. It's against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's a satanic battle that you and I are in. I was told once by, I forget who, I wish I could remember this, but I was listening to a message and, and the pastor said, if, if we saw the battle that is going on around us for our souls, if we saw what the, uh, how the, 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 the good angels and the evil ones, I know this sounds so far perplexed, or out of, uh, anyways, he, they said if we saw it, we would fall down dead. I, I believe he's right. I believe there is a battle going on for your soul and my soul. And so when it says in verse 1, they paid attention to, it's from a verb in the Greek, which is P-R-O-S-E-C-H-O. It expresses more than merely listening to someone. It means to assent to. It means to devote yourself to it. It means to cling to someone. And it is written in the present tense in this participle. It shows that an apostate or someone who falls away is someone who is continually clinging to demonic teaching. It's a way of life for them. How old is this battle? Well, it started with Eve in the garden. And Satan came to her and, and tried to make a battle 
between God's word and his lies. Remember, as we started this message, the earth is a battleground between God and Satan, between good and evil, between knowing God's truth and clinging to it or abandoning it. Listen, for some of you here, you're going to have to stop seeing some of your old friends. For some of you here, you're going to have to stop meeting in the old places that you used to hang around in. You'll have to take those people and those places away for some of you and program your life to follow Christ and His ways. I say that thinking back in my life when I first came to Christ when it was in Hawaii and I went to tell my, my very best friend and friends who were seated at a, a booth in his restaurant. And I told them I became a Christian. I became a Christian. I was only a few days old in the Lord. And, and my good friend told me, get the blankety-blank out of my restaurant. <laughs> and I don't ever want to see you again. And I started to smile like, He's teasing me, right? I mean, why would anybody say that? And he was not teasing. He says, get out. Get. You talk about being embarrassed. I stood up. I walked out. All along expecting them to run up. I said, we're kidding, we're kidding. Come on back. Let's have some fun. And I was walking down the Alawai in, in Honolulu, Hawaii. And I've told you all this before. It was a turning point in my life. After feeling terribly sorry for myself, thinking, well, thanks a lot. This is fun. I accepted you, and now I don't even have a friend. Real nice, thanks. What a bargain. When I came to my senses, I said to the Lord, if it's just you and me the rest of my life, it'll be enough. I believe that when the Lord allowed my friends to reject me, reject me in retrospect, I believe that God in His way was caring for me because He knew that I would not be strong enough to handle it on my own. You see, the false teachers, as we learn in 1 Timothy chapter 4, are able to go about their devilish ways without restraint because their conscience, as it says in verse 2, have been seared, destroyed. Driven by Satan and, and demons, they become, as it says in verse 2, hypocritical liars who have seared their own conscience as with a branding iron, it says. You see, with a scarred or, or seared conscience, a false teacher will feel no guilt, no remorse, as they provide false doctrines. That's why I never study anything on my own. I, I never give you truth that I just kind of come upon. I always go into my commentaries. I always make sure that I don't fall out of, out of step with some of the great, great, great learned teachers of old and follow their teaching. Paul says this about his conscience in Acts chapter 24, verse 16. He says, I do my best. Paul, I do my best, he says, to maintain always a blameless conscience before God and men. It says in verse 3, there are men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining for food, which, which God has created 
to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. You see, Paul has already told us, the scriptures have already told us, that marriage and food is good. But typical of Satan's deceptions, they try to move us away from what God says is good. There's nothing wrong with being single. There's nothing wrong with being married. There's nothing wrong with, with, with abstaining from food or fasting so that, 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 that it can help accompanying us with prayer. But we as believers are complete in Christ. We don't need to practice physical self-denial to gain salvation. We don't have to practice physical self-denial to be righteous before God. Jesus Christ has done that for us. Note what it says in verses 4 and 5. We don't have to abstain from from these things. Because everything, verse 4, everything that has been created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified. That means set apart. These things, all of this life, all of these things that you and I have has been sanctified by means of the Word of God and prayer. You see, God created everything. He created everything to be enjoyed by us all, as long as we all have this attitude of gratitude towards God, accompanied by God's Word and prayer. This is what teaches what we ought to do. This is what will teach us how we ought to live. And God says that everything that He created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with a gratitude, a, a heart that is sanctified by the Word of God and by prayer. You see, God made marriage. God made food. God made you being single for the same reason He made everything else, and that is to give us joy and to bring glory to Himself. There's a great verse. You might look at it later. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It says, Whatever then you eat, or whatever then you drink, or whatever then you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's a great way to live. To give Him glory for everything that you do. That, fellow believers, ought to be our philosophy of life. It ought to be our philosophy of faith so that we will be fully aware of, of His presence in our lives and fully aware that we are walking with Him so that we will not be enticed by the evil one to even take a slight step away from following Him. Father in heaven, I think Paul writes this purely to warn us. I don't think he's written this to scare us at all. Father, we will not fall away if we hold tightly to your truths, if we would hear what you're saying to us and understand it and make a commitment of our life moment by moment, day by day. Father, I give you thanks for these writings of Paul that you might teach us, Father, that there will be some who will fall away, but not us. We'll hold truth. And Father, may we be so strong in what we believe as a group of believers here in this service right now, this church right now, that we will help those that think about giving up that we will call them 
to repentance, that we will call them, Father, to walk with you. And sometimes, like in the life of my friend Bill, what they will see is just our lives. And hopefully our lives will be example enough that will draw people to want to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, may that happen to every single one of us here, whether it be our friends or our acquaintances. May people see the Bible in and through our lives. And may people desire to walk with our Savior because of how we walk. I pray these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I love you all very much. Have a great, great day. Bye-bye.